Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I'm broadcasting in the Chicago area today at the studios of This Week in Agribusiness. I'll be co-hosting this weekend show with our with my good friend Max Armstrong. Happy to be at the desk with him this weekend. Happy to be with you today. We have lots to talk about. We're going to talk a lot of market information today. We'll talk with Ben Lane, a dairy analyst with Rabo AgriFinance, as we focus in on the dairy industry and the struggles there. And then we're going to talk markets in general with Naomi Bloom. She's with Stuart Peterson. Get her thoughts on the markets here during this springtime and looking ahead what she sees as far as her outlook is concerned. And then we continue to take a look at planting around the country. We'll check in in northeastern Kansas with Ken McCauley. We'll join us a little bit later on with a planting update from that part of the Midwest. But right now, we're going to talk trade and, the in, in particular, the motorcade for trade that's been going on the last several days with the uh, group Farmers for Free Trade and their executive director, Brian Keel, checks in with us. Brian, thanks a lot. You're nearing uh, the, uh, the end of your journey, and quite a journey it has been. That is true, and uh, people are a little road-weary, but, but very gratified <laughs> with the, the hospitality and the warm welcome throughout the Midwest. It's been, a, it's been a heck of a trip. We've had a lot of stops, a lot of meetings with uh, members of Congress, uh, meetings at farms and at dairies throughout the Midwest, and really building awareness and, and support for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada-USMCA trade agreement. You started in Pennsylvania, and now you're about to wrap up this coming weekend. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where you've been and where you still have to go. Sure. So before Easter, the week before Easter, we started in Pennsylvania, and we wrapped through New York, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and then we ended in Illinois. And along that route, again, we had meetings with farms uh, at farms. We had roundtable discussions with farmers. We had uh, meetings with members of Congress, and then we took a break for Easter, and then we uh, picked up the tour again on this last Monday in Illinois, and we wrapped from Illinois to uh, Wisconsin, uh, then down into Iowa, uh, then uh, today uh, back up into Minnesota, and tomorrow we'll be in North Dakota, and we'll end this leg of the tour in uh, Billings, Montana, or actually Broadview, Montana, uh, on Friday uh, with a barbecue and, uh, and a little End of end of the road celebration. Well, you mentioned you've talked with members of Congress. I know you've had some great uh, meetings and some good discussions. Uh, and again, this is to remind them and to emphasize the importance of getting USMCA passed uh, when it comes to agriculture in particular. Uh, what's at stake here? Yeah, so as everyone should know, hopefully by now, if they've been listening to your program, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement is the trade agreement that extends and modernizes NAFTA. So it really builds on what was a very good trade agreement to begin with. Uh, that trade agreement dramatically increased U.S. ag exports. You know, Canada's our number one ag export destination. Mexico is two or three, depending on the year. It toggles back and forth with China a little bit. Um, so very important export destinations for all U.S. ag products. Um, President Trump came into office, negotiated a modernized version of NAFTA. It's sort of NAFTA uh, uh, 1.2 or 1.3. It's NAFTA with some better provisions. Because, you know, when NAFTA was negotiated, it's hard to remember, but we didn't have the Internet to speak of. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have e-commerce. So there were chapters that needed to be added into this, into this uh, bill to take care of those types of things. Uh, but, but really, the most important thing is that it extends NAFTA and it keeps our ag trade going with Canada and Mexico. How concerned are you about some comments from uh, union leaders in this country saying it's not going to pass unless there are some labor provisions in there, some things that have to be addressed as far as Mexico is concerned? Uh, do you see that as a major hurdle at this point? You know, we hope not. Uh, trade deals, you never take them for granted because uh, they're an easy place for politics to, to rear its ugly head, uh, and that's why we're on the road trying to engage both Democrats and Republicans in support of this bill. Um, 
you know, there's some sense that, that Mexico is going to take up their labor provisions uh, in their uh, equivalent of the legislature or Congress uh, in, the, in the coming month, and that that may address that issue. That's certainly what we're hoping, is that, that Mexico will move first, show that they've improved their labor standards, so that you don't have, you know, such an incentive for jobs to go south uh, in manufacturing, that uh, by having similar labor standards in Mexico and the U.S., the idea is that, that it's sort of a more of a level playing field. So hopefully that issue will resolve and it will not be a stumbling block for this bill. So there are certain steps that have to be taken. Taken That ITC report was one step. So when the members of Congress get back next week from their Easter recess, they'll have that information. But the administration really has to set this in motion. Isn't that right? And any indication when that's going to happen? Yeah, there's, there's two things, really, that the administration has to do. Uh, first, as a technical matter, uh, they need to bring a bill to Congress. Congress can't move until the administration brings forward the legislation. And, and as we've talked with members of Congress along the motorcade for trade whistle stop tour, that's one of the things we've heard, is that people want to see the bill, they want to see it in writing, and then they'll respond to it. So that's the next step. The administration needs to deliver a bill to Congress. Once they do, Congress then has 90 days uh, to take it up and pass it. So really we're talking about this, this happening through the summer. The other thing the administration needs to do is address the 232 tariffs. Uh, as your listeners may recall, uh, the U.S. put aluminum steel tariffs on steel and aluminum imports from Canada and Mexico. Canada and Mexico retaliated against a bunch of our ag products. You know, Canada and Mexico are both saying they're not going to move forward with ratifying this deal till those tariffs are gone. And we're hearing that from members of Congress, too. So that's the second thing the administration needs to do is resolve those tariffs. And that kind of then clears the, clears the deck for this bill to move, hopefully. So as you wrap up uh, here in the soon uh, your motorcade for trade are you happy with the way it's gone you know we're really really pleased again people have been very gracious we've had great partnerships with the state farm bureaus uh, corn association soy uh, dairy has come in strong we had uh, pork at, uh, at our, our event with uh, congressman ron kind in, uh, uh, yesterday so really it, this has been a team effort from the ag community farmers for free trade has helped organize it but it's really been an all hands on deck effort and that's that's the way it should be given how important this is um this tour has gone so well we're now in the planning stages for additional legs of the tour uh, we're looking at potentially a tour in the pacific northwest maybe down the central valley of california and potentially back through the midwest uh, before this bill becomes law so more miles on the rv coming up it sounds like <laughs> more <laughs> miles on the rv more road weary foot soldiers but that's that's why we're in it we're in it to get this done and, and that's why we're plugging for u.s agriculture all right brian thanks for the update glad to hear that it, it has gone well and uh, uh, great job getting the message out about the importance of usmca to u.s agriculture thanks a lot good to hear from you all right be well take care take care brian keel executive director of farmers for free trade as they are on the last leg of their motorcade for trade at least round one well coming up next we're going to focus on the dairy economy robo agrifinance dairy analyst ben lane joins us next stay with us here on aoa adams on agriculture Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
recently on Adams on Agriculture, clean water issues in this country. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation on the clean water rule. What's the next step? This rule, which we believe is more balanced, we believe that it is also legally defensible. We also believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty but I hope the uncertainty is now moving back near the center where we can live and operate our farms in ways that we're not in, in danger of, of running afoul of the law. It is going to take a while. You can expect EPA to spend a lot of quality time between now and the end of this year uh, preparing to finalize a rule that they can support. They've got to flesh out not only the, the decisions they make, but why and the rationale why they made those decisions. I think that is critically important, and that's critically important in, in making sure that it is legally defensible. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean, or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're going to take a closer look at the dairy economy. Joining me now is Ben Lane. He is a dairy analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Ben, thanks for joining us. Certainly it's no secret that the dairy economy is really struggling. Uh, do you see any bright spots as we uh, look down the line for the dairy industry? And if so, how far down the line? Uh, yeah, it's definitely been tough for a while now. That's something that is uh, it's no news there. It's been, it's been tough for a few years now. Um, there are there are some bright spots that it unfortunately also seems like there's also a lot of a lot of downside risks. I think right now demand is good. Um, the global dairy industry is starting to the, the production is starting to pull back, so that's having some positive impacts on global prices. The the question is though, how much is the U.S. going to be able to participate in that? So we've got a lot of trade disruptions going on, tariffs and things like that. The sooner we can get through that and start participating in some of this uh, global market strength, that's that's going to be better. Keeps coming back to that. How important to the dairy sector are these trade deals, whether it's Japan, China, or USMCA? Yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, it's much more of a factor in the dairy industry than it has been historically. The last several years, we've been kind of seeing increased reliance on production so the or, or on exports so the more we see production growth the more we're going to have to start looking to the rest of the world for some growth and demand that's going to match that and uh, we're seeing that in places like asia and, and seeing good demand and seeing that become a bigger part of the industry but but 
otherwise we end up getting stuck with a lot of milk that's not going to some of these export markets. Obviously, we look to those trade deals for growth in markets, but also to maintain what we have, especially in the case of Mexico. That's why USMCA is so important. Right. That's important. The USMCA was was good in terms of maintaining some of the, the status quo that we had going on there. Uh, the problem is that we still have the tariffs in place, both from China and from Mexico, the retaliatory tariffs. Um, so that's still having a negative impact on our ability to get particularly cheese to Mexico and things like whey products to China. We're talking with Robo Agrofinance dairy analyst Ben Lane. Ben, if USMCA is passed, how much of a impact you see it having on the dairy industry, especially as we look to the, any changes in there uh, as far as Canada is concerned, how much will that help? You know, I think as far as Canada is concerned, that's not going to be a huge impact in the big scheme of things. It definitely has an impact on Canadian pr- producers kind of seeing seeing some of their market being given up is, is what it looks like to them. But in, realistically, it's an, Canada is a good market. It's not a, a particularly growing market like we see in other parts of the world. So it's a step in the right direction, um, but, you know, there's there's bigger markets that I think we, we can focus on and look for growth to. So it, it's, it's a positive, and I think, you know, as we move towards more openness in some of those trades, that's a positive. But, yeah, long-term, Canada isn't probably the biggest opportunity, but it's important that we get things flowing back to Mexico and get some of those tariffs removed and, and continue to look at opportunities in Southeast Asia and other parts of Asia as well. So... Keeping those flowing as much as possible, that's going to let us keep finding more outlets for dairy products and let producers keep um, keep making milk and expanding if they want. Of course, much of the focus on Canada has been their policies up there that uh, have had an impact on the on U.S. dairy producers. Do you see uh, the tweaking that's done in USMCA helping that situation significantly or not? You know, I don't think it's going to be very significant in terms of U.S. producers. It's definitely, you know, that Canada has their supply management and they've got their quota system and, um, you know, it works works well for those producers, um, but as a result, they have to limit their trade flows because otherwise you start seeing um, opportunities for milk in the U.S. to to flow in and undercut their milk and that's, that's, you know, that's a challenge for them. So it's also an opportunity for U.S. producers. So on this side of the border, they end up seeing that, hey, we, you know, we see a market there. They want our milk, and it's, it's being blocked. So to the extent that it's a step in the right direction, it's opening up some of that movement um, and some opportunity. That's a positive. But it, in the big scheme of things, it's not a huge portion of our, our market. So I think it's, it's a step in the right direction, but it's not going to be hugely impactful on its own. There have been some in this country saying that we ought to be looking uh, at a, a supply management system for dairy. What are your thoughts on that? What are the, the pros and cons there? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is you've got a very a diverse dairy industry. So you've got a lot of folks that are expanding and being at a very large scale. So we've got you know the largest 10% of farms now are making over 70% of the milk in the country. So they... That those farms still want to keep growing. They're doing okay. They've got economies of scale, and they're they're making it work. They want to keep growing. Um, on the other hand, you've got a lot of the smaller, more traditional farms in areas like the Upper Midwest and the Northeast uh, that that are seeing this. They don't sometimes have the opportunity to grow. They might not have the resources. There might be regulations and restrictions. They're frustrated at seeing the situation where we've got surplus milk in a lot of cases, and they're feeling like they don't contribute to that problem, but they're suffering some of the some of the negative price effects. So there's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a diverse industry with a lot of, you know, strong cases to be made on both sides of that argument. And uh, ultimately, I think that would be a challenge to institute kind of a national supply management program. But individual co-ops or processors are looking at their own kind of tiered pricing programs. They're looking at their own kind of regional and, um, you know, cooperative or company-wide solutions to those situations. This year we have more assistance programs available through the Farm Bill and some new uh, some new programs available. Uh, how big of a, a help do you see that those being for dairy producers? 
Uh, I think it'll be it'll be a positive, and what I think it's going to do is provide an opportunity to to give a little bit of a cushion and, and some a, a little bit more support to farms, especially on the smaller end. I think if you've made it through the last several years, you're you're having a tough time. But I, I think that this will now that some of these programs, what used to be the margin protection program, and now it's the uh, DMC program in the new farm bill, I think that's going to be an improvement. It's going to, I mean, at this point, it's, it's basically a guaranteed payout for folks that sign up. So it's it's going to give people a little bit more time, a little bit more breathing room to figure out how to how to proceed from here. So I think it will start slowing down some of the exits that we've seen um, in the past couple of years. Ben, a real concern. Uh, we've seen that a number in several states, a number of dairy operations uh, go out of business but yet the overall production numbers may be down just a little, but uh, they still remain very high. Yeah, that's, there's a couple of factors that are contributing to that. So you, you have in areas like Wisconsin that lost about almost 700 farms last year, I think 200 or so already this year. Um, yeah, that, that you're, you're losing farms. You're not necessarily losing cows in those areas. but So you're seeing consolidation. You're seeing larger farms. But at the same time, on a national basis, we are losing quite a lot of cows in, in terms of the national herd size, but we're getting more milk out of each of those cows. So it's really, you know, we're losing cow numbers, but we're still growing production overall. It did, it did dip down into the negative territory in March, but then it's slowing down overall. But we're seeing that milk production growth come completely from increased efficiency and more milk per cow rather than just increasing the number of cows. You know, there's a lot of talk uh, as we look in the trade talks and the situation we're looking at China and some other countries now of African swine fever. Does that impact the dairy industry at all? Uh, it does. It's uh, you know, it's probably in a couple of ways, and, and uh, the biggest is probably the whey market as it's a uh, whey permeates and lactose are, are a component in piglet feed. So uh, it does have an impact when they have a if they're going to have a significant reduction in their their uh, herd, that's going to have an impact on their demand for feed. Now, we, we already have problems with tariffs in getting way to China, so it's already taken a hit, but this has kind of removed any optimism that that might, if that comes back, the demand might not be there now. Because if, when you're just dealing with tariffs, if the demand is still there, you're really just shuffling things around. It's really the U.S. and the EU are making the way in the world, and, um, you know, Demand might get shuffled around. It might be more difficult, more expensive with tariffs. But if the if uh, the Chinese pork industry takes a big hit, then the demand's actually just going to go away, and that's going to that's going to have a bigger, more meaningful impact on the dairy industry, on the way markets. Real quick, Ben, with these new imitation dairy products on the market now are they impacting uh, the dairy industry as far as sales and consumption is concerned? You know, to some extent, I think they, they probably are. They're really, you know, it's another competitor. The beverage case in general um, is a pretty competitive market now. So I think in some areas you're seeing um, some bright spots in fluid milk with things like organic. But, yeah, overall, fluid milk has been on a long trajectory before plant-based milks, and, and I think that's going to continue overall. Ben, good to talk with you, and uh, we'll stay in touch as we continue to look at the dairy industry. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ben Lane, Robo AgriFinance Dairy Analyst. More on the markets coming up. We're going to talk with Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. Stay with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Data is data is data. Unless you work with FS, then your data comes with expert insight. Tapping into a wide range of technologies through MyField, your FS crop specialist evaluates trial data from your farm, along with only the most qualified aggregated data that reveals trends in your area. With MyField, your FS crop specialist delivers the insights you need to build your ROI. Learn how results from FS nitrogen trials can be applied to your farm at fsmyfield.com. FS, bringing you what's next. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybeans trending higher, corn and Chicago wheat trending lower early on this Thursday. The futures trending lower as traders watch soybean export demand and any developments on trade with China. Grain export sales, according to the wire talk, coming in near or within analyst expectations. Soybean futures trending two to three higher an hour into the day. July soybeans selling off sharply lower on Wednesday. That contract, though, is technically overextended and could be vulnerable to a snapback correction at any time. July soybeans up three and a quarter at 872. November 892 and a quarter. That's up two and three quarters. Corn futures fell for the third day in a row yesterday. The nearby trend pointing lower. The bears remain in charge of price activity, according to the wire talk. July corn down two and a quarter at 353 and three quarters. December at 373 and three quarters, down two and a quarter. In the wheats, Chicago July down a half at 438. Kansas City July down a quarter of a cent at 411 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat, September bid up two at 523. Cotton trade on a Thursday, July up 45 points, 7757. Live cattle futures nearby April down a dollar twenty-seven at one twenty-five fifty-five. Feeder cattle August down a dollar thirty-two at one fifty-five forty. Saw some cash cattle trade shake loose in the South yesterday on a live basis, one twenty-six to one twenty-seven. Texas, Kansas, steady dollar higher than a week ago. Lean hog futures June down two dollars seventy cents at ninety oh five. Outside markets, the Dow is down two hundred forty-four points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, if you watch This Week in Agribusiness this weekend, you'll see our market guest is Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson, and she joins us now here on Adams on Agriculture. Naomi, good to see you again. Um, I have to ask you, what are the markets most focused on right now, planting or the trade talks? It's a little bit of both, really. Um, it seems like the, the planting is assumed that it'll get done, but mm-hmm. it's definitely off to a slow start, you know, when you compare it historically. Um, but the other part of this is definitely the trade deal and the standpoint that the funds who are so aggressively and historically short in the market, meaning they've been selling futures contracts and just really pushing these prices lower. They're waiting, it feels like, for a trade deal to surface and really be in ink before they let up on those short positions and take profits. So next week, we're supposed to have um, some meetings with the um, delegations between the Chinese and Americans, and hopefully we can get some fresh news out of there. But again, it seems like unless they get a legitimate weather issue or some really strong verbiage in that trade deal, uh, it feels like the funds just want to keep this as low as they can take it for the short term. Markets are not going to get worried about planting when it's still April, right? It's going to have to get into May before they'd really get uh, nervous about it. I agree with you. I think more around Mother's Day, so kind of that second week of May is historically kind of more the the crunch time where people get a little bit more nervous about it. 
But even so, if there's a forecast for a window of planting opportunity, we know what the American farmer can do. And so, again, the trade is not thinking that we won't get this crop in the ground. But you do have to be mindful that the later that it gets planted, the more it gets into that summer heat going into July and pollination. And we've been so blessed to have amazing crops for four years now in a row that something's got to give sooner than later. And especially with the fall field work happening in the spring, it's not the perfect setup for optimal yields. Because of recent big crops, do the markets now assume big production? They do. They do here and all around the world. And it's almost like they assume that until proven otherwise. They're going to assume not just trend line, but a bushel or two above trend line. And, and that's just keeping pressure on the prices for the moment. But along the way with these lower prices, demand has grown. This is going to be a first year where China is not going to grow enough corn to meet their production. They're relying on digging into the last of that old crop which makes me a little nervous because if they actually have a weather issue this summer and they don't have the production that they're hoping for, well, they just shot themselves on the foot because they're planting 16% more acres of soybeans this year rather than what they had been planting in years prior. And then they would have to rely on other countries, and it would be Ukraine, the United States, parts of South America. But you really have to also remember three-quarters of the world's corn production happens in the northern hemisphere. So if there is a weather issue in China or the United States or Canada, Ukraine, Russia, it's it's going to show up in our prices and it's going to show up in the balance sheets because the demand for corn really is strong. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. So let's look at China. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen with the trade deal. But we know they're dealing with African swine fever in a big way. Now the feeling is, okay, that could reduce the amount say, of soybeans, soybean meal that they would need, but it would increase the opportunity for us to sell more pork into there. So how do we look at that as far as uh, where the boost comes? And there's also the potential, of course, of ethanol, and and uh, so maybe it's more friendly corn. How do you see a, a China deal impacting the markets? Um, because of the swine fever, it really has reduced demand, I mean, without a doubt, for soybeans. And that is a new factor above and beyond the trade deal. Short term. Anyway. Short term. Right. The, the hogs that are getting called, when they come back, they're going to most likely, China's going to try to put them into more of a specific breeding facility or a, like a bigger production facility mm-hmm. overall. And, and the, the hog production will come back. That is China's number one meat and protein that they like to eat. It is a short-term event, but the bigger picture, I think that's why you are seeing China devote more acres into soybeans because they know they have 1.3 billion people that they have to feed. And between pork and between poultry and what other items they choose to eat, pork probably tastes the best. And rice and chicken feet probably get a little old after a while. So uh, I think there's possibility for the United States in this trade deal that we could see not only pork exports improve, because they've already been improving with the tariffs in place, but we could see the dairy exports improve. We could see beef exports improve. I think there's... Uh, room for those things. And if that's the case, then that would increase production in the United States, and that increases demand for feed. And I don't think that we've seen the demand for feed accurate on the USDA reports because of the winter cold, the winter snow, the winter blizzards that we had. And I know that talking with my clients, there was a stretch of three weeks where they were telling me they were feeding 10% more of feed, and they were wait- their animals weren't gaining weight. It was just feed going into this animal. That has not been accounted for on any of these USDA reports. So we have, um, you know, the record number of hogs and and tremendous amounts of cattle. So you can't tell me that they haven't been eating. And I think that demand has not been shown on USDA reports. I think a lot of things still aren't accounted for. We don't know about prevented plant acres, right? Uh, We don't know. How do you account for all the, the grain that was lost in those bins that collapsed during the floods? I mean, there was a lot of grain there, too. All that still has to be figured into the equation. Yeah, and it's like the market's forgotten about all of that. They're just like, oh, you know, that. who cares? But that's a significant factor going forward. And I just read yesterday that... The damaged grain from the flooding in Nebraska and Iowa is going to be accounted for eventually on the quarterly stocks report at the end of June. That's when it'll start to come into the tally. Um, But beyond that, the prevent plant acres are going to be significant. Um, Loose estimates between all of the flooded and damaged acres is, you know, 700,000 to a million acres between Nebraska and Iowa. 
Well, that's ground that's not going to get planted. That is key ground that we have had for corn and soybean production. And so that's not going to come into play. So there's, there's so many variables to this whole equation yet that you can't say for sure acres are going to be X, Y, or Z. It's a moving part for right now, and you have to really be in tune to what's going on. So we wait and see, just like we're waiting to see on the trade deals. But if, I mean, there's so much potential out there. If something's done with China, something's done with Japan, if USMCA gets passed, those are big ifs, all of them. But if you got all that, what could it mean for the markets? It means easily that we see prices go back up to overhead resistance levels on charts. And so what that would mean is December corn futures. What has been holding us captive for four years is 450 December futures price. We haven't had a reason to get through that. And on the soybeans, uh, potentially we see that market price go back up to 10 or uh, best case scenario, if corn can lead the way, you could see $11 futures for soybeans if all of those stars align that you talked about. But now if those stars align and if there's a weather issue on top of that, then it's it's a whole new thing because again that demand is so strong right now and and the world has just been so lucky to have perfect crops for four years in a row it's already starting to get dry in parts of russia near the volga river and that's a lot of where their wheat production is and they've been due for something um one of their big dry weather heat domes that comes over and just scorches the crop so there's it's got to be one of those years five years in a row of perfect production just really makes me wonder if it's possible so much unknown makes it even harder than usual to to market then i mean farmers trying to have a marketing plan here and these variables are out there if the stars align it could be great but if those stars don't align then what are you looking at well then if the stars are not aligning all i can say is that if you're an end user you need to be buying your grain now because this is cheap and this is probably the cheapest it's going to be for the year Um, But if it's just a year where we get a little bit of a spike higher than what that means is December corn going back up to $4, which would still be better than where it is today. Um, Ultimately, $4.25 would be the next hurdle above that. And for that soybean market to have a reason to get back above $10 would be something very triumphant. So we would be looking at a retest of the ranges from last year if we can get a summer rally and that might be it. That would be your window to sell. And and one thing to really remember on December corn futures, the last four years, the high came, two years it came the second week of July, which makes sense. It's with pollination and it's with the USDA report. One year it came the second week of June, which correlates with the USDA report. And then last year, of course, it was made because of the tariffs. So seasonalities to the marketplace, I think still will be triumphant throughout all of this. And I really do think that we'll see some sort of a recovery, especially with the funds being short a record amount. They have to show profits on their books, and the only way to do that is to exit those positions. We don't know what our production will be this year, but we know South America has a good crop. Without a doubt. And that Brazilian crop continues to be huge, Um, another near-record crop for the soybean production, and obviously the corn production, the second crop corn, has a much Mm -hmm. better chance because they're not dealing with the drought that they had last year. So that weighs into things from the standpoint of they'll they'll have corn to export, and they can be competitive. One thing I read, though, this week is that um, in Brazil, where that second crop corn is grown, it is logistically very, very far away from the southern part of Brazil where the livestock is primarily kept. So if the Brazilians wanted to get part of this um, hog export game to China or maybe some beef exports, the food is not in the right spot to feed the animals. And so there's talk where historically other times, because the logistics aren't there, it's easier for the southern part of Brazil to import grain by boat, sometimes from the United States, than it is to just try to truck it across the country. So I'm curious to see how that'll play out. Well, a lot of unknowns. Seems like more than usual. Uh, A lot of potential, a lot of risk here Mm -hmm. coming up. It's going to be quite a year for sure. Naomi, good to see you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Naomi Bloom with Stuart Peterson. All right. Well, we've been talking about getting this crop planted. We're going to have a planting update. We're going to go to northeast Kansas. Ken McCauley is going to join us next to tell us about the work, how much planting they have done so far. I believe they're getting into bean planting now. We'll find out next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Well, let's take a look at the recently released Ag Census. Joining us to do that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. I think farmers have an excellent story to tell in terms of uh, they really are the original stewards of the land. And one thing that changed from uh, 2017 and 2012 census, and this is 2012 was the first time they asked this question, conventional versus conservation versus no-till. Um, in 2012, conventional uh, was at the top, followed by conservation and no-till. In the 2017, um, no-till was the highest, followed by conservation, and then uh, conventional was the lowest. So you're definitely seeing uh, more farms utilize uh, environmentally friendly practices. Uh, additionally, one that was captured was cover crop. Uh, amount of acres uh, planted with cover crops increased by 50%. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care.
Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue our planting updates. Let's go to northeast Kansas and check in with Ken McCauley. Ken, how's it going? Morning, Mike. Well, it's going good. Uh, everything's just a beautiful day here, and everybody's just either trying to finish up corn or moving to soybeans. Uh, it's it's we're just really lucky right here. The ground dries out quick, and the corn's starting to come up. I think you're going to see some spotty stands, and some of it dried out a little quick because it dried too fast. And we we noticed that, but we haven't looked yet. Some of, sometimes you can look too quick, I guess. So you're not only done with corn planting, you have corn coming up. Our corn isn't quite up yet, but the guys have planted a few days earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. It's coming up. I think you can row some of it, but uh, I just really haven't looked too hard yet. But it, it's uh, it's coming up nice, really. Uh, soybeans uh, didn't have all the tracks in from the uh, anhydrous or, or the uh, spreader trucks. Uh, the soybean grounds were working beautiful corn stalks, and uh, really happy about that, but you know, looking at the forecast, you don't know whether to hit it hard or hit it slow. So you've evidently uh, had a good spring, uh, especially compared to a lot of other parts of the country. Were you able to get started as early as usual, earlier than usual, or how does it compare? No, we started later than usual, but, man, it just, I've heard it on your program and Gene Miller and the guys talking there this week. Everybody's impressed about how quick we got the corn in this year and I, I think it's across the board except for the guys that you know where it's too wet or they haven't got got everything done you know as far as fertilizer but we put put all the corn in in like nine days and you hear a lot of guys put it in in seven days and that's that's a little quicker than normal i think maybe the urgency uh got everybody's attention they hit it a little harder maybe and you must have got a really good weather window to allow that to get done too yeah, we had just straight days, you know, seven full days or eight, and it really, you know, you got a lot done when you <laughs> when all you do is that. So I, I think that's a big part of it. I, the the guys that put spring fertilizer on, I think they they're dealing with more hard ground, and we had some of that. <laughs> like I said, that a rain will solve a lot of problems, and that that's what we're hoping for. Just as long as it isn't too hard of a rain. As I say, with so many uh, farmers in other parts of the country wanting some dry weather so they can get to the fields, here you are in the opposite situation, actually could use a rain. Yeah, and, you know, there's guys talking both sides of that. Uh, They're wanting to rain, but you you just don't want it to last too long. And, I, you know, you feel for the guys with the river problems. I don't know that the, the rain... And inch of rain isn't going to change that river. It's just really sad looking at it. Even here, uh, there's still a lot of water everywhere in the Missouri, in that flooded area. We're talking with the northeastern Kansas farmer, Ken McCauley. Uh, Ken, uh, did, did many shift acres this year or pretty much stick to rotations? I think the rotation stayed even if you were in a in a higher rotation of corn. I, I haven't heard of too many uh switch to corn and and you know this the way the weather went and the fertilizer deals i i don't see a lot of switching going on but you know and certain individuals probably probably did some of that but uh, we stuck and everybody around in this area i think stuck with the, their normal percentage of corn and soybeans were folks in your area behind from last year so many places didn't did not get fall field work done what was your situation coming into this spring i think most most everybody there's few didn't get all their anhydrous on and uh, we don't if we can't get ours all on we just plan on doing some in the spring and i think that's where a lot of guys were but most of the anhydrous was on here we didn't have any supply problems uh this past two weeks when 
when guys were running. But uh, you know, you hear some guys south of here that that it, it must be the uh, relationship with the supplier of the distributor where the anhydrous is, is a little short. But you know, you hear your guys talking in Iowa that they're waiting for two tanks a day. That that'd be terrible to wait on that when you could be planting corn. I know that you've been watching and and listening to these situations in different parts of the country, and I know your heart goes out to what a lot of these folks are dealing with this year. No, it just just really gets me. I, you know, I had people ask, you know, you're putting a lot of these pictures out, and uh, do you have any flooded ground? I said no, but I just really want everybody to realize how how uh, dramatic and devastating this is to a farmer that not only loses the the chance to raise a good crop, but you know, see see your whole uh, storage system above normal flood targets. And those bins just exploding and going out, and you know it's it's a terrible deal to have have a crop already harvested and not being able to put it in the bank. I don't know what I'd do if I had that to to happen to me. I, I guess you deal with it, but you, it'd just be a tough deal. I know you're watching closely the trade talks. Uh, are you getting uh, uh, optimistic, or are you nervous? Are you frustrated? It's taking so long. How, how do you feel about all this? just really frustrated mike this uh i'm not very optimistic i think that uh, we've got a president that's a tough tough trade guy tough negotiator i think it's probably going to get worked out but it's (laughs) maybe by the time it gets worked out the all the all the markets have already figured it out and we won't go back up like a lot of us have planned so you know i i figured we'd be in a, a pretty good price range right now instead we're way below even the average so it, it's depressing for everybody out here we're we're kind of holding on but but you see basis in a good spot we're in a pretty good spot but the cash price is still pretty low are you concerned that you won't get back what you've lost during the all these trade wars and tensions and tariffs yeah i really am you know once once you get to a certain point in the summer uh the deals are done and and you you have the corn's moved on, but it hasn't made a big difference in the in the market itself. So, yeah, I'm really concerned about that, but still got a little hope that it's going to work out. Ken, good to talk with you, and uh, good luck with the bean planting. Thanks a lot. Yep, thank you, Mike. Good talking. Take to you. care. Ken McCauley in Northeast Kansas with a planting update. That does it for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.